the film podcast. Kentucky woman, she shines with a rock and a light. She looks at you once in a day that's all wrong, looks all right. And I love her. God knows I love her. Drop of her name But something inside that she's got turns you on just the same And I love her Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while since we've uh, been here. Um, and we are going through a transitional period. We don't have a name. We used to be three-way moviegasm, but we've decided we don't really like that for the new podcast, which is going to be a little more streamlined and a little more focused on film and so we're currently going to call ourselves um the white album right <laughs> i like that yeah i mean it's not that we weren't always focused on film it's we were a little more focused on awards maybe and maybe we're we we won't be so much anymore or will we was it yeah no i partly if we decide to but um right so right now we're calling ourselves the movie white album because we don't know what else to call ourselves so if you have any suggestions you can write in to awardsdaily at gmail.com we'd be happy to hear it i'm here with craig kennedy from livinginsinema.com and ryan adams editor of awardsdaily.com and my name is sasha stone the founder and editor of awardsdaily.com today we're going to be talking about uh greg Zobel's Compliance, which just opened this weekend, and a new documentary called Side by Side, which uh, is going to be available on DVD download um, fairly soon. So first we're going to talk about compliance. So Craig, do you want to just give a quick synopsis of it? Yeah, I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to spoil things, although it's based on a true story that took place in 2000. Um, it, it takes place in a fast food restaurant in Ohio, and um, uh, the police call the fast food restaurant and tell the uh, manager that one of the employees was caught stealing from one of the customers. And they explain that the police are too busy to come out and deal with it, but they, they want the manager to deal with it over the phone. And it escalates from there and winds up um, basically in a sexual assault. And have I already said too much? <laughs> no, I think that's okay. I think that, that I think that's the basic thing that everyone should probably already know about it. Um, it because it's the details of the escalation that is really the uh, the reveal and the spoiler about it and the shocking, most shocking part of it. Right. It's a um, it's an indie thriller that sort of asks the question: How far would you go? in the name of what you think is authority. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, it's based on a, a true story. And if you do a little Googling, you can find out everything you ever wanted to know about the story, the victims, the past cases, and the perpetrator and the punishment. And I think uh, it turned out that McDonald's, which, where the case was had originally taken place, was sued for $6 million and then that ruling was overturned. 
uh, and they eventually settled out of court for how much was it, Ryan? Like one point one million, I believe. The, the, the uh, one of the victims uh, received, and actually the manager of, of, of the McDonald's herself received a million dollars, which is unbelievable to me that that happened because she, to me, she's a perpetrator. Right, I think so. I and mean, the movie certainly falls on that side too it mm-hmm. you know she's caught lying on the tape the actual tape you know the real tape um that's on youtube but that she um the actual know, surveillance tape you mean the surveillance tape yeah mm-hmm. that they yeah. took i mean they they ask her did you I, I mean i don't want to give away any spoilers but just suffice it to say that she she misleads i think the media and She's kind of into it, you know. She's kind of into the to the mm-hmm. power and the and the accolades she thinks she's going to get for going through with this. Like she's dumb enough to think that it was really a cop on the mm-hmm. phone, and I don't know if she's dumb enough, but she's certainly eager to please. You know. I'm glad you said that word first because I'm in so much trouble on the site for for bringing up the words dumb and stupid, and I got <laughs> like everybody crawled up my ass over that. But I know I can't think of any other words. I cannot think of any other words to describe these people. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. There are no other words. And that's honestly the problem that I had with the movie is that I remembered, I I didn't know anything about it at all going in. I hadn't heard this story before. I didn't know really what happened or whatever. I saw the titles at the very beginning that said that it was based on a true story. And then I conveniently forgot about that part of it. And then right around the time where the cop is on the phone um, telling her to search through this woman's purse, I'm starting to call bullshit on it. And I'm thinking, you mm-hmm. know what? There's just no way any normal, halfway intelligent, reasonable human being would do this. I would be buying I mean, the story at all, right? I mean, how would you even buy into the entire thing that a policeman is on the phone telling you how to how to conduct his investigation? Exactly. The, what happened to the mm-hmm. showing of a badge, which is like mm-hmm. a basic tenet mm-hmm. to doing what the police tell you to do? Right. Yeah. Except for I, I, right. I mean, I think that the the movie is experience has experienced several walk, you know, people walking out saying, you know, one lady mm-hmm. was quoted as saying, "Give me a break." <laughs> she was walking mm-hmm. out of the theater, but um, I thought that I, I felt that way at the beginning, and then at some point, it's kind of the the Hitchcock idea of, is he going to get away with it? You know, because in Psycho, you're sort of with Norman. Even mm-hmm. though Norman's the evil guy doing all these bad things, you're sort of with him. Is he going to mm-hmm. get caught? You know, is that car going to sink into the swamp? And this right. is how Hitchcock describes suspense and, and sort right. of human nature when it comes to movies. As you start to side with the person trying to pull one over on other people. You just naturally do. <clears throat> and it's not that I sided with him. It's just that I, I you know, you're watching to see how far they're going to go. Because I didn't know anything about the real story until I watched. I was kind of simultaneously researching it as I was watching it. Mm-hmm. But um, but that was it. As, as I was kind of captivated by this idea of um, who's getting off on this, you know, why is it going this far? What what's the guy, what's the deal with the guy? Is he going to be able to resist the opportunity to look at a naked girl, a naked teenager? Mm-hmm. Um, is he going to have a moral center? Is he going to be able to call it off? You know what? That to me, so it's kind of like lifeboat. <clears throat> sort of like, mm-hmm. what are they going to do in this situation? How is each? I mean, <clears throat> it could have been better written, like lifeboat, where each character's motivations were revealed by the end of it. Right, and you learn something about human nature by watching it. 
Right. And this isn't, this is more like sort of like by the numbers as the case really happened. It, it does seem like very documentary in style because the actors are unfamiliar, uh, fairly unfamiliar. And, and, and the, the style of acting is, is so naturalistic that it almost seems improvisational. And so I forgot that it was a true story about 30 minutes into it. And I was the same, I was the same as you, Craig. I was thinking, who, this is so unbelievable. How could this be happening? Who would believe this story? And then it dawned on me, it really happened. And so that's when I stopped. I had to pause the thing and look, and look up some of the facts to find out. First, I wanted to find out where it happened because I wanted to be sure never to visit that place. <laughs> and then I find out it's 90 miles away from where I was born. And so that's even more you know, disturbing and, and frustrating. But um, that's the thing. I mean, uh, uh, I, I wasn't prepared for the way that it was the turn that it was going to take at all. I didn't know anything about the case. I'm like, you guys, I didn't know anything about I hadn't heard about the case. And so it just seemed... So um, it's, it's too unlikely. It seemed too unlikely, except the fact that you know that it, that it really happened. Well, and that's the thing is that at the opening half hour or so before the mystery starts to kick in, I was totally absorbed in this life of these people working in this fast food place. Mm-hmm. And there was something mm-hmm. very naturalistic and kind of fascinating about the little problems that they were dealing with and the little personal things and little ins and outs. Mm-hmm. And then then the, the mystery starts to kick in and it just seems so absurd. And it's just like there's no way in hell that I would have ever fallen for this and i and yet it it actually happened and so what i wanted was uh not an explanation but i wanted somebody to at least offer an idea or to paint a picture that made sense that this would happen and and that's that's why i i wasn't crazy about the movie because it didn't quite do that for me it was entertaining um Mm -hmm. and Okay, I ran out of gas. I don't know that's okay. I, I, I like the movie, but I hated the, the characters. I didn't. I didn't find anybody, not even the the, the uh, ostensible victim, who I wanted to, who I felt any sympathy for. Uh, and so, even though I like the movie, for maybe for different reasons than, than than a lot of people do, I'll explain later. But I, I could not. I couldn't find anybody that I that I cared about because they were all so they were also aggravating. I was angry at them. Thirty minutes. It started out like Craig says. It started out almost like you're watching clerks or something or some or the or office you know office space but and then when it takes this dark turn and i saw how everyone was just being so clueless it made me so furious at 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 everyone for letting it get so out of hand and nobody was standing up to the situation and i found it really hard to find anybody to to sympathize with yeah i don't know i mean i i think in some ways it helps to be a woman watching this movie because so much of it rang so true to me like um i've been both of those women i've been the young girl that the older woman hates and Mm. resents because you know she's being a bitch and talking about her behind her back and bragging about her boyfriends and um and i've been the older woman who's jealous of the pretty young girl you know and I've also I've also had somebody call me up on the phone and tell me to do things saying threatening to kill me. Now, the chances of him actually doing that, you know, you learn afterwards that people can threaten you. But obviously, if he could have killed me, he would have been there with a knife. You know, you don't call <laughs> like the, the cop. You know, he would have been right. there in five minutes. But there is, you know, your flight or 
your fight or flight mechanism takes over and you are paralyzed just like a any animal is that's why in school shootings and stuff people can't do anything they're just too scared right and people don't always do the right thing or behave right you can't do anything under you're, stress yeah you're deer in a headlights right so i could totally relate i mean there was a point where you knew that i mean i think she knew the young girl thought that if i do these things whatever scam all this guy wants is a piece of ass and if i give it to him i can get out of here and I'm not even going to tell the older lady because I know that if I do, it'll be up and I'll get into trouble. And, you know, I was telling Ryan that, you know, or somebody in the comments maybe, or I can't remember where, but, you we know. didn't talk about this much, so it must have been somebody else. But I agree with you so much about her motivation. I was also in a car with someone when I was 14, and he wanted me to give him a blowjob, and he was my best friend's boyfriend. Uh-huh. And I should have just said no, but I didn't, you know, because I was scared. And I thought if I just do this, I can get out of this situation. Right. That's the thing is I sympathized with the teenager working at the fast food place more than anybody else, even though her actions were ultimately kind of foolish. I could sort of imagine how she felt. And it was just like, I, I'm not even sure she thought that there was a scam going on but she was so afraid of going to jail and she was in the room with her boss who didn't like her and there was this stern sounding cop on the phone and she just she was prepared to do whatever she had to do to make this whole thing go away and she She knew it was wrong that she hadn't done anything wrong but she was scared um but what my concern was my level of disbelief was towards the manager. I could not believe in a million years that she would let it get this far before she said, you know what, wait a minute, this is wrong. You need to come down here and show your badge and prove what's going on because this is ridiculous. For one thing, she's the adult, right? She should be, she should have the maturity and experience to know more than the teenager knows. And she, and, and she didn't, she fell for it. She fell for it so hard that she fell for she 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 let herself be be cajoled and flattered into thinking that she was doing a wonderful thing. She was flattered. I mean, to me, that was the most singularly fascinating thing about the movie, and the reason I wanted to watch it in the first place because there was mm-hmm. a single flash of her eyes in the trailer, and I thought, wow, that's a character whose motivations we're we're not going to know. We're going to have mm-hmm. to really try to figure out, and mm-hmm. that's what made me want to watch the movie because it did happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to figure out how it happened and why. And that therein lies the mystery. Well, that's an interesting point. I didn't really consider the fact that maybe her motivations were not entirely good. I, I didn't think about that. I remember the scenes at the beginning where she was sort of feeling lame, that she was being uh, mocked by this employee. Mm-hmm. I didn't really think about that. And that maybe she was getting back at her in some way. I didn't really you know, even, yeah. that. even before that, in the very first scene, where when the uh, delivery guy is, is dropping off the, the, the food to replace the the, uh, the spoilage that happened in the restaurant overnight, he's belittling her, and she at first tries to stand up to him, but then she she falls back and lets him run over her. And and you, you, I felt sorry for her at first. I felt like this. Okay, this is going to be the person that we're going to be feeling sympathy for throughout the movie. She's going to she's going to find her her inner strength and, and find out how to stand up to guys like this who 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 um, who demean her. 
and I was so wrong. I mean, that was really just a kind of a ploy to, to kind of get you off guard at the, in the beginning, I believe, so that you would you wouldn't um, you would wonder what's going on with her. Yeah, right. she um, she thought that the, her manager was on the other line. Like you, Ryan, there's no other way to, to say it, but just like sad, dumb. Yeah, I feel feel, like I said before several times on the site that this pitiful. I feel I feel pity for them, but it doesn't it doesn't suspend the anger that I feel toward them either. At the same time, I just feel sorry for them for being so dumb. For being dumb, I mean, she (laughs) the eighteen year old girl's working at McDonald's in some tiny town in Kentucky. You know, what Mm -hmm. does she know about anything? And the older lady, you know, she's the manager, and so she thinks she's got this. You know, you could tell she already felt. Like her job was was more important than it than it is, you know. Mm-hmm. She took it so seriously. Remember, oh, we right. having a yeah, regional manager like there. Yeah, that pep talk that she gave them and everything. It's like she's going taking them into battle. Yeah, she was so worried, and, and in a way, she kind of reminded me of my mom because, in a way, it was all about her. It was all about right. her job performance and her narcissism of I'm going to do a good job. I'm going to do whatever this person says because. I want them to say, aren't you such a good girl? You did such a good job, you know, and he mm-hmm. kept saying that to her. He kept right. feeding her this little bits of, you know, yeah, like, like you'd make a good cop, you know, are you sure you never did this before? You never had any experience, you know, you was, you, you have the right attitude and all this kind of yeah. stuff, really, really feeding her ego. Yeah. And she was sinister. I mean, she was, she mm-hmm. was a half a sinister person. We should say, I guess maybe and it's first, I think so much of this movie, the impact of it relies on, on these things being revealed little by little. If anybody wants to save all that for the theater, the deeper we get into this, we're going to, it's going to be unavoidable that we have to talk about some of the plot points. So there, there are going to be spoilers. There's no way to avoid them when we talk about this movie. I just wanted to say that because I I went into it so cold and so fresh, and and it, the the shock swept over me unexpectedly, and I wouldn't want to ruin that for for anybody that wants to save it for the theater. Yeah. Anyway, proceed. I don't know <laughs> how I can bring up the thing about the. No, you, we have to. We do have to talk about it, but I think that we should warn people too that we are going to be talking about okay. it. Okay. I just wanted to bring up the thing about the perpetrator, the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether yeah. To me, that's the only, really, the only misstep in the movie is, like Craig said, early on in the phone call, I was ready to call bullshit within the first couple of minutes. And they waited for the reveal about the perpetrator as if they were making, they were, they were letting you know, oh my gosh, he's, he's something else, you know, Mm -hmm. and and the reveal of that was a little bit heavy-handed. I thought we already know that, dude. You know, yeah. don't yeah, be. It's not like coming that. a mile away. Yeah, right. That was the only misstep to me. Otherwise, I think it was really tight and really, really adept at, at being sharp, really on point. But that was the one place that it seemed to stumble for me. Like, yeah. don't try to pretend like this is a big secret that you're revealing to us. We already know. Right. That's the only thing is is when he they pull away and they start showing him in his environment. I thought, you know, we don't need that. Mm-hmm. That's too law and order. That's too... Um... Mm-hmm. Well, and ironically, this was an episode of Law and Order. At least oh, it this, was? This, this inspired <laughs> an episode of Law and Order. One of the things that troubled me about it is that it felt exploitative. And I, I enjoyed it in that sense because I'm a pig. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that it's right. No, I don't even enjoy it. I don't feel guilty. I even enjoy that part. Well, Well, there's the whole voyeur thing and the whole... Guys, seriously, listen. Making the young girls strip. But you know what I like like, about it? No, come on. You you should go do a YouTube search. There there are so many porn sites with the real girl's name, full-length video. Like, it's not just the movie. I mean, the movie had to make it... 
as the only thing you can't find the is the is the blowjob. I think. No, I think. Well, I mean, they say I didn't do any yeah. of the downloads because that's a total spam magnet. But right. um, you know, if you click any of those links, you know, you're going to find you're going to get mm-hmm. your computer's going to get all fucked up. But I know. And besides, you know, I would rather just look at her instead of I don't I don't need to see the the, the other um, uh, fat sweaty guy in it. I don't need to see this is the part where I don't Google whether the real victim is nude on the internet. She is, dude. She's nude on a surveillance tape. Well, I'm already. I can can show you a still picture and then you can decide if you want to look further. I'll I'll see you later. (laughs) Ryan and I are already deep into it. You can see. That's right. I had to be. No, the whole point of my joke was that I had done exactly the same thing, but I'm not ready to admit that. I see what you mean. Oh, I got you. No, but see, it's 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 horrible. I know we're probably going to get a lot of shit. I'll leave the, this part in though because it's important. But yeah, um, I, there I is know. A, what I just said. You can't leave in. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm just saying there is a softcore porn aspect to it that is another reason why people watch it. Why men, particularly the male critics, are really digging it, not the women so much. But mm-hmm. um, there is that aspect to it. Um. I think that's probably, it's, it, uh, at the same time, it's probably a reason for, for a lot of the walkouts. Probably a lot of the walkouts happened when those scenes appeared. When she, when they realized what it was going to become, they they didn't want to see that, maybe. Yeah, it makes people uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and rightfully so. Yeah. It does, but it's fascinating to me. It is. You know, that was the most fascinating part, because I have a theory that she was a lot more self-aware. Maybe I was wrong for my first initial uh, impression, is that she's so dumb she doesn't realize what's going on. Maybe she was pretty clever after all. She seemed very aware of the security camera there in the storeroom. She she looked up at it a couple of times, and then especially there at the end, when she was watching the monitor, you could see the gears clicking in her head, like, uh-huh, look, I know after all that you put me through, somebody's going to pay for this. Yeah. Yeah, you're all going to pay maybe. for this. I would not be surprised if that had been in the movie. How clever, you know? Uh, no, I would have loved it if it had been if they'd made, made it more of a point of that in the movie. I think that would have really that would have been really nailed it, and I wouldn't be surprised. Well, because there's you know? a big elephant in the room that no one in yeah. the movie can talk about because of legal reasons, but it's McDonald's. McDonald's in the workplace, sexual harassment, big mm-hmm. money. Not yeah. saying that she did it for that reason, but she, she, yeah, exactly. She's not that she did it for that reason, but that she was aware that that even if she was going to have to do it, there was going to be a record of it that that might come in handy later. Yeah, because they show when when they show her later going to the lawyer for the civil suit, she's she's pretty with it. She's she's together. She's all by herself. She's not accompanied by by parents or any other guardians. She's she's in control. It seems like at the time that she's going to follow up on this for she's, she's, you know she you're right that like it's a dumb thing for someone to do but her mm-hmm. character doesn't come off as dumb and i wonder she doesn't if she she's pretty thought. sharp you know she's she 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 sneered at, at all the right things that needed to be sneered at and she she's quick-witted i think that she's not uh, a low iq person like I, my, my first impression might have been are we talking yeah. about the the victim or the the, the manager? Teen, the, the victim, teenager. But, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we're just wondering if like there could have been like a Sue Lyon moment where she, you know, where yeah, her that's why I don't think I, I don't I think that you know maybe a blowjob is really no big deal to her. Mm. You know, it's not for a lot of people. But it's also hello, you know, the worse that this gets, the more money I get paid. Mm-hmm, exactly, exactly right. Yeah. The thing too is that. Um, if you look at the story afterwards, you were talking about McDonald's. 
And, mm-hmm. and that, to me, actually is one of the more fascinating aspects of it, the way that McDonald's sort of dodged responsibility for this. Right. Yeah. But you know what? They really are responsible because McDonald's is all about this this machine-driven uh, uh, conveyor belt distribution of stuff and and they didn't have a mechanism for handling this situation they didn't in their handbook was not how to deal with this not only that i believe that they might have mentioned either they mentioned it in the movie in passing or i read it later but mcdonald's had had previous incidents like this right exactly that that had not gone forward because the manager was smart enough to hang up but they had had experience that had been (laughs) cut off abruptly and so they knew that this was happening but they didn't warn anybody to be on the lookout for it that was the the big point of the the manager who sued them was Mm -hmm. that that this had happened before, not to this degree, right. but it had happened. And you should have told us to be prepared for it so we would have known how to deal with it if it came right. up. And you know, they were just it's too not weird. a surprise. They never said anything. That's why I think they should have, she should have gotten the full amount because it was their mm-hmm. fault. I agree totally. The, the, I guess their excuse was that the employees who did the worst um, harm were people who weren't even supposed to be on the premises. Like the boyfriend was not even supposed to be in the back oh, room. So how can McDonald's be responsible for that? Right. But at the same yeah. time, they were responsible for the entire thing happening. But that's a good. Right. But that's a lawyery point, though. It's sure, it is absolutely. The, it's, the it's a way to wiggle out of it. It's like the that, that is character. a more fascinating story to me than the exploitative ins and outs of this woman having to take her clothes off for strangers. Mm-hmm. The the way that this that this could be gotten away with i mean spoiler alert in real life the dude who did this got away with it he was convicted or no he was he was he was exonerated he was exonerated he went to trial but i believe the jury but they they couldn't see enough direct evidence and they couldn't see that he was enough at fault that he could that he couldn't have really had enough control over these people to make them do what they did and so he couldn't be held responsible for there wasn't enough direct evidence that he did these things even though if you look at the evidence that was available in terms of the calling cards and all Mm -hmm. of that yeah he did it but it's too hard to prove. It's an, but, well, couldn't uh, they get him on impersonating an officer? I mean, if nothing Yeah, they, that, was a, that was one of the charges, I believe, that he was impersonating an officer. That was definitely one of the charges. But to me, the fact that he was exonerated is more is more indictment of the fact that people in these small rural communities, including the jury at the trial, are so gullible that they don't even know what the heck is going on. So we'll just, you know, let's let it go. That's right. crazy that he didn't get any. I mean, I could see the lawyer arguing, saying, if someone t- tells you to jump off a bridge and you do it, are they mm-hmm. guilty of murder? Well, no, they're not. Yeah. Because you did it. It's your action. And and mm-hmm. it's true that the, the blame, other than McDonald's getting, is the woman, the manager. She's uh-huh. old enough and smart enough to, you know, have called bullshit on this whole thing. You know, she's the dumb one. Absolutely. She, yeah. the, she and her is, the I think a less titillating but a more powerful and interesting movie would start with the end of the incident and then deal with the trial and and mm-hmm. McDonald's getting away with basically being incompetent and not caring and mm-hmm. all of that. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, it does make sense. And it, but one another thing that bothered me about the movie a little bit is that McDonald's managed not to get mentioned at all. Yeah, well, they mentioned Wendy's and they mentioned, I think, Taco Bell. How can those those two fast food chains, who really had nothing to do with this incident at all, how can they have their names brought up? But McDonald's manages to be invisible because there's probably there was probably some legal issue there. Talking yeah. about deep pockets, man. They mm-hmm, probably sure. had, yeah. and they were caught. You know, that's the things yeah. they had to pay out. The movie is not even structured so that we're all going to be on the same page with this. It's not meant to make us agree about what happened. It's, it's, it's actually deliberately intended to make us disagree. It's right. made to have make people have mixed feelings about it. Yeah. Do you well, think that the um, issues that it raises uh, make up for the exploitative quality of it? You know, I think that the issue that it raised for me that was the most interesting and the most important this year in an election year is, is, is demonstrating to everyone and reminding everybody that in rural America, people will fall for any kind of bullshit. No kidding, you know, and you, we have to remember that. We wonder who votes, first, who thinks Sarah Palin would be a good president, who thinks that she's wonderful. These type of people think that. And that's why I can't help but be a little bit angry at them and, and lack, have a lack of sympathy for them, is because these are the type of people who mess the country up because they will fall for any kind of crap that's, 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 that's dished out to them. They'll, they're gullible. Yeah. The other side of that coin for me is that the same people who feel that way these are the best jobs these people are ever going to have. And that was, that was what I was thinking while I was, while I was watching this movie. It's just like this 18 year old working at the counter of a shitty chicken restaurant. Mm -hmm. This is her best job. And this is, this is the only jobs we have to offer people anymore. Mm-hmm. One of our best, most loyal, and most intelligent readers brought that up to me too. You know, maybe this job was so important to her that she couldn't afford to lose it. Maybe she, maybe we might. I would have, I would have just walked out. Even if I had to walk out of there naked, I would have walked out. The, the door was right there. Nobody locked her in. The door was unlocked. She could walk out at any time and quit this job and just be done with the whole situation. But maybe she couldn't afford to do that. The movie could have done a better job of making that clear that yeah. certain people are trapped in certain situations and they do yeah. things not because they think they are right or wrong, but because it's the choice of having a job or not having a job. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I mean, I, I think you ask, okay, so what makes it a valuable story to tell beyond the let's watch, you know, um, a beautiful blonde girl gets spanked and mm-hmm. um, give a blow Take job. her top off in her panties. Take her top and off, and she's very pretty. And, you know, um, all I can say is that it's, it's an interesting um, mirror that is held up in front of you because you become kind of like that guy, you know. You're right. watching and mm-hmm. waiting for her to take off her clothes. You secretly yeah. want to see her naked, you know. Maybe. Maybe I like to think that I the movie say, never I asked you to feel bad about that. Right. No. I, I think you can identify. If I identify with anyone, I don't identify. I don't identify with the boyfriend so much as I do as identify with the with her her peer, the guy who comes in earlier, who's a friend of hers, whom, uh, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He, he sees that there's something really absurd about the situation. He doesn't do much to help her because, for one thing, she doesn't even ask for his help. But he, he's, he, he removes himself from the situation because he knows something is really wrong here. He is really the only, he's the only smart person in the restaurant, really. He's the only yeah. smart right. person who works there. Therefore, the only if you're... person who does the, the, the honorable thing and yeah. all shit on it. Yeah. So if you want to be the person who's 
on the right side of history, you're going to do the right thing in a situation like that, and you're not just going to mm-hmm. go along with it because your superior tells you to or... Yeah. McDonald's tells you to. McDonald's tells you to. You're not. You're just going to stand mm-hmm. up for what's right. I mean, I guess in the in the end, that's what that movie taught me was, you know, fuck it all. You know, you do what's right and, and to hell with the rest. But it tells you that nobody's going to do that. They're just going to toe the line and say, okay, this is, this is within the purview of McDonald's rules, and this is what we're going to do. Some people will. I mean, some people always will. That's human nature. Sadly. It's surprising how many of them, especially when you get into a, a, a community like that, the people who are who are who are sheep and who are compliant and who are gullible really outnumber the good people. And that's yeah. a that's a that's a scary thing and an important reminder to me that really the only guy who stood up was the old guy at the very end, the really old the old custodian guy who comes in and says, "Hey, you know, I'm not going to have the I'm going to have a, I'm not going to do this in front of a lady." You know, and right. he was the one who ended it all. He was the only really upstanding person who who was responsible for 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 making it the, this nightmare end. Yeah, but it's also a girl thing. It's also you know you're raised to be compliant. You're raised to be a good little girl to do what yeah. people tell you to I, do. I think and, that it must be true. I can't really I can't understand it, but I know that. It's and especially true. in the South, right, Ryan? I mean, right. I, I guess you this? know, that's true. Not to be, you know, not no, to... No, right. You know, I, I, when I, I was shocked at first to find out that it happened 90 miles from where I was born, but at the same time, as soon as I found out, I wasn't a bit surprised. I thought it was going to happen anywhere. I know these people. I've seen these people. I, I've been around them, and I know how they I are. certainly do. I know girls like that who would go for that. I mean, the younger you are, the more compliant you're going to be, although, interestingly, the, the manager lady was older, and she still went yeah. for it. But she wasn't being the victim. I don't think she would have taken off her clothes. No. Mm. But, you know, the part that, for me, if I had been in her situation, when he told me to put her clothes in the car, that's when I would have known. Yeah, so much of it didn't make sense. You know, if you have any, you just have to be really unaware of how things work in the world to think that there's that there's some kind of hidden compartment sewn into her clothes like he was trying to sell her the idea that there was a hidden compartment in her bra so she had to hide her bra away so that they could examine it later she's already seen it she's held it in her hand she knows there's no hidden compartment there right right so anyway we we want to just close I guess we out. wrap this up. I mean, I, yeah. we could, this is the kind of thing that people that we could talk about endlessly and, and find all, all kinds of layers. And that's why I think it's a, it's a pretty good movie. I really think it's a pretty good movie. I, I like I said, I, I don't, I, I don't know when I'll ever watch it again because it was so uncomfortable. And I don't like the characters at all. They just, and it's, 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 it angers me and infuriates me. But I think that another th- good, another thing to enjoy about the movie is just the way that it was filmed. The fact that there's these long takes. One thing, I, one shot I want to bring up. I don't think it's a spoiler, but at the very end, I could not figure out why when they finally do get a real cop on the scene, they show him at the police station, and then he gets in his car and he drives to the to the fast food restaurant. And the entire time, that's one long take. And I thought, why are they doing this? Why are we sticking? Why is the camera on the face of this cop for so long? And then I realized they want to show you that that the police station, in real time, is only a minute away. Right. Is only one minute away. That that's how wow. close real help was, and by, by filming that in real time, they they make that point. And right. I, so there's a lot of clever things in the way that the film, the movie was framed and shot that that I think uh, makes it you know well done. So we have two. So we have two like it, and one sort of didn't like it. As a piece of filmmaking, I think it was well done. 
Um, but I just, I just don't think that these the points that it made outweighed the exploited exploitive value of it. Okay, that's fair enough. Right. All right. So moving on to side by side, which was directed by Greg something or other. Keneally? What was his name? Let me see here. I'll look it up real quick. Is it Keneally or something? Christian Keneally. Or Christian Keneally. Okay. Side by Side, directed by Christian Keneally and produced by Keanu Reeves, who is also the narrator. Sort of the host, yeah. He interviews everyone. So, Ryan, you want to give a quick synopsis? I'm sorry. Christopher Keneally, not Christian. Christopher okay. Keneally. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the, the, it's a documentary examining the, the, um, the emergence of digital... Um, film and how all of this, much faster than anyone expected it to, it has usurped um, celluloid as the as the as the way that the films are going to be made from now on. Not only has it become, not only is it is it an alternative, but it is replacing celluloid so fast that they're not even making film cameras anymore. The film cameras that exist now are the only ones that are ever going to be made, and and it it it. it it, it interviews uh, a lot of cinematographers and directors and gets their input about why they prefer digital over film, and most of them seem like they do. Most of the, they they, they uh, make a convincing case that digital is the way to go. Yep, and some of those directors are um, none other than Martin Scorsese, Jim Cameron, the great David Fincher, and Steven Soderbergh, um, plus lots of cinematographers, um, Mm-hmm. Uh, Wally Fister, Anthony Dodd Mantle, um, just off the top of my head, they. Uh, oh, and of course George Lucas, you know, the, mm-hmm. the father of digital film. Vilmos Zygmunt, a great cinematographer, one of my all-time favorite. Um, yeah, and and, and I was surprised to find that the people who 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 are resistant to digital and who who who, who think that it's ruining um, the film industry and it's it's degrading the look and feel of film. I, they, they sounded like fuddy-duddies. They came off as really uh, 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 antiquated and, and dinosaurs, which I was surprised because I really like some of those guys. Especially was Vilmos one of the guys that was pro-digital, or was he anti-digital? I, I, I think remember was, him being anti-digital. I think he was anti-digital, yeah. He, he, he felt like that... Uh, I think I think he said he said he said something like we this is something that we perfected over the period of over the span of a hundred years and and we're going to cast it aside for something that we have to to go backwards and start over again. He was not he was not in favor of that. I think the the highest profile anti digital guy was Christopher Nolan, Mm. and Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that disappointed me about the movie, which I overall liked and actually convinced me that digital is better than what I think it is, was that Christopher Nolan has made some eloquent defenses of film in print, but he he didn't seem to have the same articulation in the movie. I don't think the movie made a good enough case for pro-film in he order... He came off almost a little bit cranky, didn't he? He, he didn't make any really good reasons for... Yeah film over digital if he did they didn't they didn't include that maybe they right, had an right. agenda it does seem like that the movie had uh, set out to make you believe that it was going to be a defense of film but right. the, by the end of it they were selling you on the fact that digital is the wave of the future even Keanu, who kept saying but it doesn't look as good it doesn't look as good he was one, he he allowed himself to be won over by everyone by the end of the film right right, right. well and it's true you do 
I mean, I shoot on digital. We all of us three photographers, you know, we, we shoot. You shoot digital, right, Craig, still? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because it, I mean, for photography, digital photography, unless you're a really good film photographer, unless you're like Ansel Adams, mm-hmm. um, digital is, you know, for somebody like me, far superior. Although I will say that some pictures I took throughout my life that I kept, managed to capture on film when the magic happened, um, mm-hmm. the lighting had just happened to be just right. The motion was just right. And somehow, by some miracle, this one photo came out. Right. Those images tend to be more powerful to me than, than the hundreds of beautiful photos I've taken with my digital. But it's just the... They're almost film. more precious. The ones on film are almost more precious because they are, for me especially, they're so rare that I was able to ever get a, a really good shot on 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 a film on a film reel, yeah, you know, the, the, the old style film. film. Is it absorbs, I mean, I guess video does this to a degree, but film really absorbs its time. Like, mm-hmm. it, the 70s film looks different from 80s film, looks different from 20s and 30s and 40s. And mm-hmm. Every era and, has its own kind of look of the film. In the, in the past, when you developed, um, in order to see the photographs you've taken in the, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, you had to have them printed. And so there's a quality to the prints and the texture of the grain and, the, and that, that, that you don't get when you look at your photographs now on, on a computer screen. Yeah, I don't yeah. even I don't have so many of my prints made anymore, unless it's something really extraordinary. I hardly ever have anything printed. I keep them all on disc, and I actually look at I look at them on. They're lit from behind like a like a slide, and that's a different kind of beauty. But it's not the same as having a piece of paper in your hand with a picture on it. Right, and I, you know, I when I was watching the movie, I was thinking, you know, they're making a really good case for digital, but the movie's called Side by Side, and I really hope that. It stays that way. I hope the oh, film yeah. doesn't go away, and I hope that people still... I mean, I think Paul Thomas Anderson and Christopher Nolan um, at this point are clinging to something like record albums that are just going mm-hmm. away. But I think that that every filmmaker should say, I'm not digital, I'm not film. I choose which medium per film. Like, if you were a really good photographer, you could say, I'm going to go shoot the sunset in the valley of yosemite and i'm going to use film because it's right for that and i don't need digital for it because film is going to work better but when i go down to hollywood boulevard at three o'clock in the morning i'm going to take my canon because it works really well in low light and i know i'm going to get the right shot that's the thing that ultimately depressed me about the movie was that as I was watching it, I was thinking, what's the big deal if somebody chooses film over digital because that's suitable to their purposes, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. But the nature of the business is that there's no money for the people paying for the technology to do film anymore. And they're all jumping ship. Mm-hmm. The, the, the technology and the support system behind film has disappeared because after 2007, they decided not to make new film cameras. They're just doing digital now because mm-hmm. that's where the money is. And eventually people won't have that choice. All of the processing and everything, the infrastructure is going to start to disappear because they won't be making any money. And so it'll become harder and harder to even get um, film um, developed. Exactly. And that that is amplified with the preservation in that film is film. 
somebody in the film and in, in the movie said that it's both a preservation medium and an exhibition medium whereas digital the technology changes every 20 minutes and that something that you can access digitally now in 20 minutes you're not going to be able to because that's how quickly the technology changes whereas you, any, you, you can have- run a strip of film through a camera a hundred years ago but you can't right. play a format of, of videotape that was made 10 years ago. But I'm right. sorry to say, I'm sorry to say this because I don't like this at all about life. There are a lot of things I don't like, and that's how I know I'm getting old. Sure. But times are changing. I mean, the, the most telling oh, yeah. shot in that whole movie was when that guy was watching Lawrence of Arabia on his iPhone. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are young people don't have the same prejudices we do they will watch movies on their iphone they most of them watch everything that there is to see on youtube even one of the yeah, but, but most of them will not watch lawrence of arabia because they're fucking idiots they probably um, won't true, but, but i mean the, enough the, will and one one of the cinematographers even said it's it's a very intimate experience to be holding your iphone three inches from your face and the, the, it fills your vision it fills your entire um you know, perspective. I mean, your your peripheral vision, everything. When you're holding something that close, and he can he can be alone with that movie three inches from his face, in a way that he can't be in a theater. And the fact that they were talking about digital, how all this is how I remember when how digital came in. I remember it from photography, but I also remember it from like in photography. Almost everybody uses digital. They just mm-hmm. because the cameras are so incredible now that mm-hmm. you don't need to use film even though there are still some diehards who are holding on to it you recognize it as an, a dying art quality was shit back then and even the yeah, people in the movie admit that that when it first started out it was it was blocky and grainy and 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 clumpy looking you know the colors uh, yeah. bled together I mean, and it was it awful like video i just it never thought like that video, the romance right. of film would go away i never thought yeah. that because that's how yeah. i was raised but mm-hmm. People in my daughter's generation and what I see now, the way things are moving so fast is everything, all the film gets transferred to digital anyway for editing. So you're just saving a step. Mm -hmm. And everybody is sooner or later going to be watching most of their stuff on VOD, download, streaming. Very few movies are are even going to make it to the theater. Even in theaters, the, the movies can now be broadcast to the theater instead of a physical object going to the theater. Right. So everything's going digital anyway, you know. I mean, the only thing that could interrupt it is if we have some major energy shortage and we can't. Financially, there's recording is actually the last element of the film process that has has embraced digital. Like you said, the special effects, the distribution, the editing, have all been digital for a while. Well, not so much the distribution, but. Every other aspect has been digital. It's the the capturing that is slower to come to digital. Right. And I think someone mentioned that in the movie that that, that yeah. the cameras were the last thing to catch up. Editing and special effects and all the other aspects were had gone digital and had been perfected digitally long before the cameras were able to catch up. But now the cameras have. And really, it only took ten years. The first really the the first movies at Sundance that were, that really made a big splash on digital were uh, two thousand one or two thousand. So it's only been ten years. It's not as if the the, the movies made from nine from 1895 to 1935 were all that great looking either but we don't disrespect them just because of their the quality's not there we right. we we cherish those movies from the from the from the early 1900s in, in spite of the fact that the that the film wasn't film hadn't become perfected yet 
There's something to be said, though, for the difficulty of capturing a usable image that sort of um, separates one group from another. And mm. what am I trying to say? I know what you're trying to say because I can use the example. I, mean, I sent you, you sent both of you a couple of pictures that I'd taken just on the fly. I take a shot out of my car window, and they were crap pictures, but I was able to manipulate them later and fix them up so that they were halfway decent. But it, it would take more skill to get the shot the first time in the camera. Is that what you're saying? To, in order kind to, of, yeah. I mean, yeah. Ansel Adams going out in nature with his gigantic camera where he can take just a few pictures mm-hmm. um, takes a lot more skill and it separates Ansel Adams from a million other people that makes what he's doing special. Whereas we're sort of lacking that in the sense that any douche with a thousand dollars can go out with a red camera and, and film something that's acceptable looking. And not yeah. only not only get it in the camera that when it's acceptable looking, but then manipulate it later to to tweak it and make it even better looking. And that's right, something that right. Ansel Adams was not able to do once he had what he had in the camera on the negative was it. And if he didn't right, get right. it, then it wasn't there. But now uh, filmmakers and photographers can manipulate things and fix it up. And that's that's why I like digital so much is because I'm really not that great a photographer at all. But if I take 300 shots, one of them is going to be good, and it costs nothing to do that. And on digital, right, right. there's no expense to it. You, go, you only print, you only, you only save the one that you like, and the rest of them are free, basically. Yeah. Well, and, and look at somebody like Lena Dunham, who I'm a huge fan of. She mm-hmm. basically said, you know, I was intimidated by, she didn't say it in these words, but she, she was not comfortable with the process of putting a picture on film. It seemed like something only, you know, old men who had been doing this for a million years could do. But I have these stories that I want to tell, and now suddenly I can do it because the technology makes it easier. And there's a lot of value for that. But I think at the same time, there's something missing. I think that the hoops that people used to have to jump through to just get a usable image that was projectable mm-hmm. on screen, I think had value, mm-hmm. and I I don't think it, I don't think it's a win win either way. Right, and I think yeah. someone almost brought this up in the movie, but then they they, they let it they let it trail off and didn't make a, a really good point of it. But I thought I think it's important to think back into the 1940s and 50s when film was expensive, and you knew that you had to be really on top of it. When the, when they said roll, when they said action, you had to be there. You had to you had to be sure you wanted to get it in as few takes as possible. And now you can be more casual about it and even um... well, yeah, yes and no I mean here I am I was somebody who wanted to make films my whole life mm-hmm. my obstacle was I don't have the $15,000 it costs to make a movie everybody yeah. I knew the first thing they had to do was make money to make a movie they couldn't just make a movie now that I can make a movie it's like okay so you can do it so what are you going to make uh, yeah. nothing, <laughs> what do you got? Uh, I don't think I have anything to say uh, <laughs> It's even more intimidating now because it is so easy. You still have to be able to tell. There's so many shitty, horrible movies out there. Little one, you know, shorts. And it still comes down to, as David Fincher said, skill. I mean, Craig, right. you know, it, it. even with photography, it's, it's it, there's still a lot of talent, drive, risk, 
and skill with storytelling that makes the difference. It doesn't, George Lucas can have all the money in the world, every single digital effect you could imagine, the best camera. He can shot that on film. And he makes fucking Phantom film. Menace, which is a piece of shit. <laughs> and his movie could still suck, no matter how good the film is. I will say this, and it breaks my heart a little bit to say, but I would venture to guess that Martin Scorsese's movies on film look better than his movies on digital. Martin Scorsese could make a movie on a light bright and it would be fucking awesome because he's Martin Scorsese. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. And, he, but I and, guess, that's, and that's the thing is that the technology has made it so that anybody and their dog can make a movie. But Scorsese himself in the movie said, you know, people, everybody has pencil. No, and that's paper, David Lynch that, said that. That doesn't David mean Lynch. that everybody can write a good story. Right. It, it, the technology makes it easy, but that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be able to do it. Right. And, in and fact, it does, but, but, being, but it, being inexpensive, it does give more people a chance to practice, and I think that's important. Not everyone is, has, is born a genius, but, but a I lot think, of people can, can perfect their talents and, and, and get better and better and better, but and it's learn, easier to do that when, when it's cheap. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> but you also, the other flip side of that is you learn pretty quick that you can't do it. If you can't, yeah, do right, it. exactly. Because yeah, if you don't have something to say, then it doesn't work. That's the thing. Lena Dunham has right. something to say, so mm-hmm. it works. That's a difference and, and between going her... back to what Ryan was saying about um, he, he was quoting he was talking about what somebody in the movie said. Uh, it was the uh, cinematographer Frozen River, who the quote that she used was is that people can hear the money going through the camera when it's on film, mm-hmm. and that that lends a sort of respect in a sort of like, okay, we've really got to do this right and seriously. Whereas on digital, the sense is that you can just do it over and over and over again. And it's, it's not it, 99. It doesn't, yeah. It, it doesn't have the same impact. But, but, but at the same time, Fincher accomplished quite something pretty extraordinary with them doing 99 takes of the opening for social network, you know, and he would not, maybe not have been able to do that on film so easily, and certainly not as as inexpensively. He might have he might have hesitated to shoot ninety nine takes of that opening monologue, and opening dialogue, if he if he had uh, if it had been on film, right? Right, and well, if you're, and that's if the thing a... is that a master like Fincher or Soderbergh, who did Che, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a number of other directors who have embraced digital early, it they are. They were already well trained in terms of film, and it's not mm-hmm. like digital is a shortcut for them, but it just mm-hmm. allows them to take their talents to another level. Mm-hmm. Right. It's sort of like being able to paint realistic before you go abstract. It's like you still need the knowledge of what film can do, what lighting can do. I feel like I'm right. a better photographer because I shot on film once. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, my friend just went on this long trip, and he brought a film camera with him, and he took all these films, all these pictures on film. He mm-hmm. came back, he had it developed, and the developing guy, whether it was his fault, the photographer, or the developing person's fault, they were all ruined. Oh, gosh, that heartbreaking. Just, that doesn't happen with digital. And if you're, and, like they say, you can watch the dailies, and if you have this actor there that day, and they can't be there in two weeks, mm-hmm. you know... There are certain things that, like, a, like you say, a good filmmaker like David Fincher or um, a Martin Scorsese or someone like that, they know they can use digital to their advantage to make their stories better. But it can't, it can't turn shit into gold. Right. <laughs> Just, and, and I think Fincher himself, so, Fincher himself said that it was, nothing is more maddening than shooting something that is you think 
is great in the camera and then they show then you see the dailies the next day and something goes out of focus and you're like what the fuck right oh my right. gosh that was so great and we didn't know it we didn't know to do it over because we didn't know it slipped out of focus and how you know oh, that would drive you somebody a perfectionist crazy so you would think that films it would mean that films are getting better what they are getting is they're getting technologically better mm-hmm. i don't know that that means they're getting better necessarily i mean that's a big question still right they're I'm, getting easier but they're not necessarily getting better Except in the hands of people who are already skilled, which are the Finchers, the Soderberghs, and the Scorseses. It was funny because um, you heard a couple of the cinematographers, and I don't don't remember if Michael Chapman was one of them or or if it was Vilmos Sigmund, that they have this attitude that they are sort of magicians with, with imagery because it's like... Not everybody could do what they did, and and everybody relied on them. As much as the director was in charge, the director relied on them to pull off a picture. Yeah, and everybody now, thinks they can. Yeah. And now it's much easier for people to do that, and 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 the cinematographers are, cinematographers are no longer special, and I think they sort of resent that. For better or for worse. Some do. Some do. Some seem like they're pretty cool with it, though. You know, I know that there were some of the... some. It seemed like uh, more of the famous cinematographers were upset with the fact that film was going to be a thing of the past than, than directors. Well, but, the ones like Anthony Dodd-Mantle, who I didn't even realize it when he won the Oscar for Slumdog Millionaire. He was the first digital photographer to win an Oscar for that. I'm sure that was everybody realized that at the time. But mm-hmm. I just I thought, I thought, wow, what a huge jump that is. But yeah, what I had forgotten he embraces is- it. But the older guys who grew up with film and film made them special, understandably, they're, they're a little hesitant. And, you know, the coldest remark in the entire movie, I think, was uh, Danny Boyle, who said, you know, I can understand how people uh, want to hang on to things from the past, but but um, it's progress, and your time may have passed. You know, yeah. let it go, and it's time for you to retire. If you can't adapt to the new technology, then, you know, retire. And he didn't. He not only said that your time has passed, but he said mm. that's a good thing. That's like yeah, the natural right. progression of the yeah. way things work. Uh-huh. Mm. So depressing. I know, really it's, it is. It's depressing, but at the same time, in the hands of people who know what they're doing, yeah. uh, it, it's invigorating. And I have to admit, I went into this movie thinking, you know what? Digital is fine, but let's not get carried away. But I left the movie thinking digital is the way to go. It solves so many more problems than it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, this is this is a sideline. I could have done without 15 minutes of James Cameron talking about the glories of 3D. We didn't really need that. <laughs> right. Can't sell us on that, Jimbo. 3D is ass. Anybody who <laughs> likes 3D is a 13-year-old infant who needs to have you know, bells and whistles. It's like, it has its uses, but it is not the future of the movies that I want to see. Can I just say that you're never going to get better than the movies Stanley Kubrick made, the movies Ingmar Bergman made, the movies um, 
Federico Fellini made on film. You're never going to get movies to look that good on digital. It's just never going to happen. I know it never will. It, they will if never you do, look it's, that it's good. nothing more than just mimicry. They can, they can imitate the look of film, but that's just ersatz, right? That's just, well, that's well, just bogus. That they, they rely too much on the post-production. Like Citizen yeah. Kane, like when he shot that, Greg Tolan shot that. They did all that right then. You know, that In was the, the one yeah. the one thing there, that I took There's a from, magic to that that you can't mm-hmm. capture, and I, I regret losing that. It's something I, mean, I don't think that's anybody replaceable. with Photoshop or whatever the post-processing image manipulation thing is can do whatever they want. It's like Instagram. You yeah. can make any photograph look halfway good with Instagram, uh-huh. and yet that doesn't make you an artist. It's halfway good, but it's ne- they're never going to reach that level that Citizen Kane, that level of perfection of Citizen Kane. This is why anybody who didn't put it on their list or out of their mind but the, i'm just going to say you're that sound, the side and sound poll you're talking about you're never going to find you're never going to be able to recreate in post what they what they created on the set with that movie because they had to and you know you could say this about any of those guys back then and no one knows Berman. that about the in camera effects that's what makes that's the one thing that's outstanding about the the dark knight trilogy is the in camera effects may are so tangible you know, you know that's really happening. You know that that's not something that, that was drawn in with a computer later. That's actually an actual semi truck flipping over on the streets of Chicago. Yeah, that's an that's an interesting point. And in that and one of the good things about this documentary is that it not only covered image capture, it talked about special effects, mm-hmm. it talked about post processing and all of that. But one of the things that I thought of was um, Tintin. Which came out? What was it last year? Mm, Spielberg's last year. Uh, animated, completely computer-generated movie. Mm. And to me, when I was watching it, I, I liked it. I'm, I'm a fan of Tintin. But when I was watching it, I was comparing it to Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is was very similar in terms of a cinematic thrill ride. But mm. something about watching the physical stunts. I mean, you know that it's not Harrison Ford being dragged behind the truck. You mm-hmm. know that it's a stunt man, but yeah. there's still a guy who did it. Whereas in Tintin, they could manipulate the pixels however they wanted to make people do whatever they wanted them to do. And mm-hmm. it, it just didn't have quite the same impact. There wasn't somebody putting their lives on the line to make a shot happen. Whereas with Raiders of the Lost Ark, even though it was simulated, there was still risk and there was still people in danger doing what they were doing. And it's more thrilling, even if it doesn't even look quite as real. Does that make sense? It does. It it absolutely makes sense. And there's something about that boulder roll in the the, the first sequence, the boulder rolling toward them, that it would just look silly in in digital. It wouldn't have the same impact. They don't storyboard as much, I don't think. They didn't talk about storyboarding at all Mm. um, in this. And I know that one of the reasons why a lot of those movies are so beautiful to look at now and that they didn't need. You don't need to look at a Hitchcock movie and imagine it being run through digital and enhanced and made 3D and all that. You mm-hmm. never, ever are wanting because they're so beautifully filmed, so rich. And, you know, I've never seen that in digital. I've never seen digital be able to, to reach those that level of beauty. But one of the things that they did, especially with, like, Citizen Kane or whatever, they every shot was conceived. The Coens do this. They're one of the few directors who really, really do adhere to the storyboard. But mm-hmm. they think their shots out in advance, and then they build from there. They go, this is how I want the shot. This is how I want the lighting. This is how I want the mood. This is how I want everything to look. 
Mm-hmm. They yeah. have to be more careful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're thinking about it in advance because it forwards the story, especially in Citizen Kane. I'm thinking of the scene where um, she's playing, uh, she's she's doing a jigsaw puzzle in front of that huge fireplace, and he comes in. The way uh-huh. that whole scene is lit, the way that you're supposed to, you know, acknowledge that she's bored out of her mind, and he's just this scary ghost walking around this giant house and that huge mm-hmm. fireplace. I mean, that all that was conceived before they filmed it. They had to because it would have been impossible to capture that with the technology if they didn't decide in advance what it was they wanted to do. And it's not the same as doing something a million times. It's like anybody can take a million pictures and pick two out of those a million that are good. But to, to do it under those circumstances and get something usable and valuable is a much... A much different thing. What's great about that particular scene, too, in Kane, is that because they couldn't really build an entire mansion for that one shot, all that was really lit in that scene is Susan Alexander in the foreground with the jigsaw puzzle, um, Kane in the midground, and in the background you've got that huge fireplace lit up. I mean, it's 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 lighted, but the rest of the screen is dark because they couldn't build the yeah. entire room, and they would build the entire room digitally. And it would lose the impact of the... See, that's the the thing. Yeah, because the necessity is the mother of invention. A lot of these movies were so great because they were working with weird constraints. Mm -hmm. And they, when you remove those constraints, what do you have? You know, you have... It all rests on the talent of the the people involved, the director and the writer and the actors. You know, and it is... I can see why cinematographers would feel threatened because it's less about them now. It's more about... Mm -hmm. How good is the writing? You know, how good are the actors? Because we can do everything else later. Well, that's the thing is, would we regard Citizen Kane as highly as we do if Orson Welles had been able to go into a computer and just manipulate pixels and come up with any picture that he wanted? We wouldn't. What we value about Citizen Kane is how they were able to capture images that were unheard of before that that's that that was a dividing line between a certain kind of movie and movies that came after it it's a totally different kind of magic right and and if you take the example of photography and you look on Flickr and you see all the and anywhere really um national geographic any website that, that that hosts photography basically anybody now can create an insanely beautiful photograph so the technique is no longer important What's important now is the content. You know, did you capture the, you know, the soldier kissing the his wife coming mm-hmm. off the plane, you know, on your great photograph? It's like that's what matters now because any old person with a really great camera, if they practice enough and they learn about their camera, they can create incredibly professional-looking images. Mm-hmm. I like to think that there's somebody out there with digital who's going to step it up a notch and it's going to make it as exclusive as it was with film. Even though anybody can take a picture now, that somebody is going to figure out how to do it right and and better. You know, I would say that Fincher is, is already doing I would say Fincher is doing that already. I would say that... I the, agree. The, I mean, the, if you look the, at Zodiac the, or... So is Mike Dent, yeah. mm-hmm. or, or Michael Mann with Collateral and... Um, 
whatever, and Miami Vice, which are both all four movies were were featured in the documentary, mm-hmm. and these are people who are taking the current state of the art and they are still elevating it in the same way that an Ansel Adams would have, you know, fifty years ago. See, mm-hmm. I wonder if it's that or if it's just them making it look more like film. Like one thing I liked and appreciated about watching this movie is that. I've always liked Slumdog Millionaire. I thought it was a very moving, sweet film, right? I'm a big Danny Boyle fan. I like all of his other movies more than Slumdog, but I still like Slumdog okay. But what I gained from this was was Anthony Dodd Mantle's innovative use of the camera. Like, he's taking the digital camera and doing what you can't do with a film camera. And that's Mm -hmm. what I like about that. He had the flexibility in terms of the camera being smaller and more manipulative and... Being able to do more with the physical camera. He yeah, and definitely... if you're, right, if you're smart about it and you're not like, I'm just going to have a handheld camera shoved in people's faces like Mumblecore. Right. Do like what he did, which was put it in these really unlikely places to capture certain scenes. Or like he was talking about 28 Days Later where he was able to do things with digital, shut down a whole street for like five minutes, which he could never right. have done with film. Or Steven Soderbergh was talking about climbing a mountain would not being able to carry film and being able to bring of it to me that that's where digital really shines is is when people start thinking about it outside the realm of making it look just like film. And the same thing I, I thought when I saw the the clips from Slumdog is I, I remembered I, or I realized that the thing that I liked probably the the most what made Slumdog, Slumdog a millionaire outstanding is the cinematography more than anything else. Yeah. Well, and these guys, people like Anthony Dodd Mantle and some of the other guys, they're not. It's not that it makes cinematography easier. It just gives them a bigger range of things that they can do. Or like with Anthony, I'm sorry, um, Michael Mann with with, uh, Collateral being able to film at night and capture images at night that you never could have done with regular film. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Which, Which is important. But but again, these are enormously talented people, and it's not just about any schmo being able to pick up a camera and make an image. Right. It's about I know what I want, I know what I haven't been able to get, and I know why I want it. It's right. not just, you know, I mean, it's a good thing Lena Dunham has something to say, because if she didn't, she'd be on the scrap heap with everybody else who has a digital camera who's in film school. Think of all the film schools all over the country that spit out graduates every year and think of how few of them go on to do anything significant. Well, and when you look at tiny furniture, the first thing you don't the first thing you think of is not how it looks. You're just you're happy that it exists because she has something to say and a story to tell, but you know, visually, you know, it's not it's not the greatest. Well, she's not and she's not trying to do anything, but the thing about her is she didn't go to film school. She just went to regular Oberlin, and she was like, I'm just going to make a film. Right. But if she had gone to mm-hmm. film school, you can bet that they would have been really constantly teaching her about framing and lighting well, and, you know, all that other stuff. She's more but, verbal than visual. She's a, for, her, speaking about her specifically, she's just a more verbal uh, director than she is visual. She doesn't right, depend right, on right. the visuals to tell her story. She is her, it's, her, it's her script. She and might there's evolve. nothing wrong with that at all. No, I, I, I don't mean to sound critical of her at all. I'm a huge fan of Linda Dunham, and I will defend tiny furniture and girls to my death. And with that, we say goodbye to our episode of the Movie White Album, or perhaps the film podcast, we haven't decided. And you are listening to 
Craig Kennedy from livingincinema.com, Ryan Adams from awardsdaily.com, and Sasha Stone from awardsdaily.com. And we will be back next week, hopefully, with another episode. Um, Bumper music today was Kentucky Woman Live and Changes by David Bowie. Thanks for listening. so sweet So I turned myself to face me But I've never caught a glimpse How the others must see the faker I'm much too fast to take that test Ch-ch-ch-changes Turn and face the strain Ch-ch-changes The wanna be a richer man Straight.